A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Hi there, cocoons of horror fans. I'm just jumping in here at the beginning to tell you that if you were expecting Pan's Labyrinth, I need to apologize. My fault. I had the scheduling wrong. I promise that we will cover Pan soon. What I neglected to say last week is that we had the Lost Boys on the schedule. And I don't mind saying this could be the most fun that Steve and I have had in a podcast. So sorry about Pan's Labyrinth. It is coming soon. Enjoy the Lost Boys. Welcome to Cocoons of Horror the podcast that revisits classic horror films and other Pulp Fiction. Today we take a look at arguably the greatest film of all time, Lost Boys. <laughs> Lost Boys takes us on a journey to Santa Carla, the murder capital of the world, where we encounter motorcycle world, riding vampires. The world. <laughs> where we encounter motorcycle riding vampires and a glistening saxophone player. With me, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Steve, this is one of those movies that you've watched literally dozens of times. Yep. And I've watched this movie twice. Once in the late 80s and once two nights ago. Nice. Uh, although I did watch a couple of scenes over again this morning. So, I, two and a half, yeah. I suppose. This actually makes the first viewing this year, which is pretty late for me. You you revisit this often. This is like an old friend yeah. to you. Yeah, I just I turned it off um, mere minutes before we started this podcast. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain a few things to me. Uh, sure. Relative. <laughs> okay, this is a lot of fun. This this movie's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt. And... There are just a few things about the movie that continue to fascinate me. <laughs> I haven't been able to get Corey Feldman out of my head. It's hard to do. And I can't decide whether or not he's an acting genius <laughs> or he's the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, you're cuz it can't be either it can't it can't be in between. It's got to be one or the other. Maybe he's so good at it that he does both, right? I mean, maybe that's what he's able to do. I don't know what the heck is. I mean, let me just say this: in Stand by Me, he's amazing. He is amazing yep. in Stand by Me. It just looks like this guy is like an acting savant, and in this film, he's like—I don't know what he's trying to do with his voice. Like, I think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something: you don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. What is what is he trying to do with this role? I don't understand. I do not understand this guy. He's trying to rid Santa Carla of all the vampires. <laughs> what? <laughs> When has a fourteen-year-old have ever had a voice like that? Hey, man, he's he's seen he's seen some shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if you look at his parents, they're they're like catatonic in the comic book store. Him and his brother having to raise themselves, and they got to bear the burden of truth, justice, in the American way. 
Now, I, I will say that when I, when I watched this in the 80s, I was totally in. I was thinking, the, this is the coolest thing I've ever... <laughs> I, I want to meet these two guys in that comic book store. This is an amazing premise. Let me be best friends with these two frog brothers. <laughs> right, Edgar Allan Frog, man. <laughs> so... Uh, on rewatch, this <laughs> I experienced this a little bit differently this time around. <laughs> well, give it like about like thirty more watches. <laughs> I keep thinking. I know that there's other things to talk about, but I just feel like Corey Feldman is just he just I can't look away. He's just fascinating. I'm telling you, when I went and saw him in concert. Um... It just solidifies that I can't look away uh, feeling. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Corey Feldman in concert. Um, yeah. I, I, all right, so I did not know that Corey Feldman, until you went to this concert, right. I did not know that Corey Feldman had a music career. Uh, it was it was uh, kind of like burgeoning at the time, right? Like he had been on the Today Show with his song Go For It and his backup uh, musicians, Corey's Angels, and um, it went viral. People had people had definitely different perspectives on how good and how um, like like just how well he was doing in general. Um, there were some concerns, right? And so, I mean, I'll say that when we first got the tickets, when we found out he was coming through Sonoma County at, at the Mystic Theater in Petaluma, um, kind of was an, it, it felt maybe a bit like an ironic purchase. Now, did was um, Corey's Angels with him on tour? Oh yeah. Okay. I yeah. want to make sure I got the full experience here. Oh yeah. No. And so, uh, so what started off as like maybe a little bit of an ironic journey ended up being something where you just you you find yourself just rooting for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's probably not what you're. You know, if you go to a concert, you don't usually go to like root for the band. <laughs> thinking, if this goes well. We might keep him out of rehab like that. Exactly. This is just like just we we realize that we're like oh we have a now we have a responsibility as an audience, and uh, and I I I mean I got right up to the front row. I got to I got to touch a sweaty Corey Feldman. Um, oh good, it's pretty great. There was a there was a woman next to me who was clearly somebody's mother. Uh, just just screaming sexual expletives at him and uh like i've never been a, more in fascinated a, in a hospitable way oh and i come hither way yeah uh, interesting okay yeah interesting is is right um and i now and, i know thank you god, thank I, god for the full bar <laughs> i know you pretty well so let me just let me just guess here mm-hmm. you went ironically but once you were there you really enjoyed it Oh yeah, I got the concert shirt and everything. <laughs> what? How would you describe the music of Corey Feldman and Corey's Angels? Um, it's a lot of covers. There's some originals for sure. Okay. Uh, does some covers of of song like he does "Stand by Me" for example. Uh, does he do? The... Does he do any Doors covers? I don't remember him doing any Doors covers. There is an extended sequence, though, where he is dressed up like Michael Jackson, and he just dances like him while somebody plays something similar to Billie Jean in the background. <laughs> and that's... Uh, <laughs> that is... A, it's exactly what you think it would be. And it, and yes, it is awesome. Like, like full-on, like, diamond-studded white glove and all that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I have the footage. Sure. <laughs> and did you stay for the whole concert? Oh, baby, yeah. And uh, the biggest regret I had was not purchasing the meet and greet. <laughs> it was just—I mean, just looking back, you're like, "Come on, what an idiot!" Right? Like, I had an opportunity. We did hang out by the bus at the end, hoping to intercept. <laughs> and and so he's hanging around for meet and greet afterwards. He's he's mm. given the full. I, yeah, I my guess is it probably wasn't great, uh, but I di- I will say that hey, I got uh, I got him to I think he retweeted me and liked some of my tweets. It's all right. You so yeah. you guys are friends now. That's good. Ah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean it was he he likes to tweet in all caps. That's kind of his thing, and I feel bad. I feel bad because looking back, like I had maybe 
I had maybe taken some some had some jokes at his expense in the past, and um, definitely uh, you know felt felt like I owed him you know mm-hmm. an apology after that. Okay, I'm glad. I think one tweet. I want. I think one tweet at one point, like years ago, was like uh, God took the wrong Corey. Uh, <laughs> Not proud of that one now, obviously. <laughs> and yet, here I am hearing it for the first time, and it it's killing. <laughs> All right, excellent. I I mean, look, I there's so much more about this film than Corey Feldman, and yet it, that voice, that voice is just haunting me. <laughs> Uh, it was fun to revisit 1980s Santa Cruz. That uh, yeah, lot lot of you know, growing up Northern California, a lot of memories of the boardwalk. Of course, this you know in the in world, this is not Santa Cruz. This is no Santa Carla. Santa Carla, known for murder. its vampires, right? The murder capital of the world. Murder capital of the world. You know, people seem to be having fun, regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's, you would think, <laughs> you would think that you wouldn't be there so often. I mean, or I mean, people live there. I mean, the people are on these merry-go-rounds, mm-hmm. knowing full well that that vampires walk among them. You go to a concert; it's classic saxophone concert. Um, I just want to say something about the saxophonist, mm, Tim Capello, who I've seen in concert in Santa Cruz. This is a real guy. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> this is I have a whole different thing now. Okay, let me just there's a few things about this guy. All right. I think he might be the worst human I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that number one, the pecs are too much. Too much too much peck going on with this guy. And then you've oiled him up and removed his shirt. And skin tight purple pants. Mm-hmm. All of that to me suggests like professional wrestler. Right. And then you put a saxophone in his hand. And you know my feelings about the saxophone. Mm-hmm. And you've got literal blowtorches going on behind him. I don't know how anyone is enjoying this concert. This is this is a nightmare. I I saw that guy on the screen and thought I want this whole town to be devoured by vampires. <laughs> if they're cheering but, for this guy, they deserve to be vampire food. I've seen this movie like we said dozens upon dozens of times uh-huh. and it never it never ceases to make me giggle uh when they're headbanging. Yeah. To this song, when they when they're like they're headbanging to a saxophone solo. They're headbanging to "I Still Believe." Oh my goodness! Yeah, no. Uh, so I was fortunate in 2019 um, to bear witness to Tim Capello's uh, first concert since uh, that performance in santa cruz right so he returned to santa cruz for the first time since he filmed that sequence <laughs> you're, kidding. you're kidding me the same outfit he does have a tank top on because those pecs aren't as high up as they used to be um but i do have the footage for that too if you're ever interested in checking that out uh, also also got to be in the front and touching a sweaty performer uh in the same uh, why are you the, going the... out of your way to touch these sweaty people is my question i'm touching history anthony when I first saw the Mississippi River, I went and I, and I dipped into it because I was like, I feel like I am bathing in literature. So t- touching Such Corey Feldman was the, similar for you as to dipping your hand in the Mississippi. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so it was fun to see Santa Cruz... It didn't look like there was a lot of studios involved with this. It seems like most of it was shot in Santa Cruz. Like I could recognize lots of different places around the city. Definitely the boardwalk. Um, I, I the bridge, I believe, is um, like closer to L.A. I think. Oh, is that right? There on yeah. Um, I've been to the comic book store recently. The video store is now like I think it's like a uh, like a retail shop like. My clothes and stuff. So I've, I've visited that. 
Um, not all on like the boardwalk and pier, like like it, it suggests in the in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Santa Cruz has. So, I don't know about you, but when I my memories of it is that it had a distinct vibe about it. Oh sure, for sure. Still got it. Still has a very similar vibe. Whenever I was at Santa Cruz when I was a kid, I felt like this place is kind of fun, but it feels like there's like a there, there's a darkness. It's trouble. There's trouble. And I don't know whether it's just like it's just, you know, drug culture or whatever. You know, there's just addicts hanging around or whatever it is. Or if it's vampires. Do, do, what it do you think? Be. Maybe maybe it's just whatever it takes to get by. And plus, you know, white guys with dreadlocks should freak you out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it really worked. I was thinking, yeah, no, I get it. I, I've been to Santa Cruz. So I could totally imagine there being a vampire underbelly at the, in this in this spot and uh yeah it was fun i mean even like like even the, the first kill in the parking lot i was thinking i think i parked there that, that that's where yeah, i parked enough, right uh anyway oh back to tim capello just so you know i mean he did play uh i don't know how much uh he did solo i mean obviously he did the classic uh, i still believe um from the film but he also was like he would be he would back up tina turner so he would tour with with a lot of um mm. Uh, other bands and I think I believe he was in an episode of Miami Vice because I, I when I was at the concert I think they had that episode of Miami Vice playing in the background while he was saxing it up I would not be surprised if he was in oh an oh and and he certainly did at the concert play tequila which is great if you've got a saxophone <laughs> and he did the PB Herman dance <laughs> oh no <laughs> you've made some very interesting life choices <laughs> You ever drive to Santa Cruz on a weeknight <laughs> to drop eleven dollars at the dive bar, the Blue Lagoon, to watch Tim Capello? <laughs> how did you? How did you find out about this? I mean, it was oh, my buddy Chad. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, as we're as we're recording this, uh, he's going to be there at the end of the month, and I already have tickets to something else, and I am absolutely bummed. <laughs> I imagine I feel like I've seen it, though. Like, I probably get it. <laughs> you know, playing dead is always fun. Yeah. Grandpa certainly does. Now, I was I was looking up, you know, like I do. I do, try to do a little research for all these movies. Uh, titled only as Grandpa. Mm-hmm. No, That's so good. No name. The guy I doesn't need a name. Mm-mm. His name is Grandpa. And he's really the hero of the film. I mean, low key, this is a this is a very much a Karate Kid type, right? Sure, a lot of Karate Kid DNA in this movie. It's it, you know the whole move to California, move you know move to a beach town. There are bad guys. You got to like learn the ways of the force. Well, this uh, is after uh, Karate Kid. It's like if if Mister Miyagi. That's right. I think that this is sort of a very very much. Karate Kid DNA here. I, if Mr. Miyagi was a taxidermist, mm. you know what I mean? There, there's an old sure. car involved. Uh, there's a girl who's sort of fallen in with the bad boys. And they are on motorcycles. There are, of course, there are motorcycles. There wasn't a um, a hotel that had been swallowed by an earthquake fissure in Karate Kid. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> but... Uh, and Daniel LaRusso did not have a poster of Rob Lowe on his closet. Okay, my... The midriff showing tank top. My sister, my older sister, had that exact poster. I saw that poster and I thought, oh. And that and that seems right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very seductive... It was, it's the first time I've, I, I think I ever saw in my childhood a man posing seductively. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that probably tells you something about the 80s or whatever, but... Sure. Yeah, no, Rob Lowe was clearly showing off his midriff in that poster in a highly sexualized way. On Sam's closet door. I, I don't Designed think specifically to make me feel uncomfortable, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I, wonder, I wonder if that's, I mean, Schumacher, Joel Schumacher is, you know, he's, he, he's a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a character. Rest in peace. And uh, I'm a fan. I tend to be a fan. I even like 
I even kind of enjoy Batman and Robin, and uh, for all the wrong reasons, probably. But um, but Schumacher has has a flair, and uh, and it certainly comes to light in this film. And I think he has a lot of fun with it. And I think he, it's. I feel like the whole thing is just Easter eggs into Joel Schumacher's psyche. <laughs> Even down to the uh, Rob Lowe uh, crush, I suppose. On the closet door, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, who's this movie for? <laughs> uh, well, it's for me, for obvious reasons. Uh, clearly, it's for me. Uh, this movie is... Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of background. In 87, I went to go see this in the theater with my cousin. My cousin was... Uh, she had two significant, um, you know... Uh, crushes, middle school crushes, and that was uh, New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Uh, most of them. Not, I mean, like, I think it was like Jordan 1, and then, like, and then they kind of fell in rank from there. And then Corey Haim. Like, so I would stay at uh, her house, and, like, I would spend the night. Yeah, Corey Haim uh, was a thing. It, it didn't oh, yeah. last long, but when we were in junior high, there were lot there were a lot of Corey Haim fans. In the Good world. luck getting a tiger beat without Corey Haim on the cover. There you go. Uh, so yeah, so I would stay the night in the, in like uh, like an inflatable mattress or something in the room, and like it was just I would wake up every morning to Corey Haim, no matter how which direction I laid down, because it was posters everywhere and and cutouts from magazines. So inevitably, if we you know if I'm going to visit, we got to go see like go see License to Drive. We're gonna go see Dream a Little Dream. And by the way, don't sleep on License to Drive as far as a, a dark comedy with actual humor in it. Revisit that. It's worth the watch. Um, and so we go see Lost Boys. And I was like, all right, fine. I, I mean, I'm sort of chalking everything up to the Corey Haim field trip. But I dug it. I was super into it. And uh, But again, it's, this is 87. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was appealing to it was appealing to, to kind of the, and it's R, but it's certainly appealing to that age group, too, mm-hmm. to some degree, right? Because Corey Haim, Corey Feldman... You know, they're a thing. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is a thing. So there's definitely... It's a it's broader for a horror flick, right? Because um, it's not like true... I mean, it's horror, but it's not like horror horror. It's not like your hardcore horror fan is going to go see Lost Boys. They'll probably scoff at it at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it has a, a... It's a bit broader than your horror audience, probably. Um but it's interesting, right? Because you do have that R rating that keeps you, some of the so-called teeny boppers away from it. But they they win. I mean, I was certainly there. I mean, eighty seven. What am, I'm eleven. Yeah, there's sometimes that the R rating sort of attracts as forbidden fruit, right? Sure. And this is definitely one of those times because I mean, this thing is it's a total teenage flick. Right. So it's going to attract, it's definitely like it'll skew the crush crowd. But I think because it's R and because there's uh, some gore, mm-hmm. um, uh, you've got, I think you're going to get the, you get a little bit more of the, you know, the, I guess the male centric or like the, the, the younger, younger guy, the, the teenage guy. Uh, and then, you know, then you get the bonus saxophone man and. <laughs> And then I mean, and you got and you got all the people that are like you know that, that they love themselves some Diane Weist. Well, you know my feelings about Diane Weist. I'm a big fan. Huge, huge Diane Weist advocate on this side too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about two. I want to talk about two things here. Uh, Jason Patrick. Mm-hmm. I would think. I mean, he's he would clear- do better than Speed Two. I, he's a very strange. He's a very strange actor. It seems after this movie, like the, he's like right on the front of all the movie posters. He's in the heroic character role, right? Yeah. This movie is a huge success. Uh, otherwise, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in Rush. He was in Sleepers. But I'm looking at his filmography, and I'm just it's 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 amazing to me. Yeah, like this didn't like and it's interesting too because this film, when you mention Lost Boys, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the Corys, right? And yeah, yeah. obviously, Corey Haim plays a major role in it. Um, and then I think but, of Kiefer but, after and, that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Feldman is not really in it a bunch. Um, so it's it's interesting how like they're together in it, but Feldman is 
lower on on that script. But uh, but he makes valley. the most of every scene with that voice of his. He sure does. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, it does feel more like a, a it's a it's a Corey's versus Kiefer, and and yeah, you're right. Like the he's you know Jason Patrick's the the most prominent image on the poster and i mean uh-huh. oh if you want if you if if you don't think that he's a major part of this film go to youtube and search for uh i think it's like how like it's a mashup of every time they say michael or mike in uh, lost boys <laughs> it's hysterical and you realize oh my gosh they say michael or mike non-stop in this movie <laughs> it's true it's absolutely true how many times do the vampires chant it <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, Mike, 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 Michael. It's half of the words in the dialogue. If you just yeah. look at the script and do like a a word search for Mike, yeah, it's the equivalent of the f words in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Is there one uh, cliche trope or device that worked for you in this movie? Every single one of them. <laughs> it uses almost all of them. They're all there, baby. They are all there. Oh, my gosh. There are so many. I mean, like, it's just so many cliches that just, like, it's, it's like, this is how you do them, right? I mean, I I just am such a. It's a weird one for me because I saw it at such a young age that I was not, I, I did not know from film at that point. So they all worked on me. I mean, all of these, all these tricks. You know, I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about vampire lore. This is probably the first vampire movie I ever watched. Um, and so I didn't. You know, the the rules for destroying vampires. You know, the the whole thing with the the idea that you could put holy water in a squirt gun. Yep, that scene is where they're they're loading it. It up is inspired. I feel like why isn't this in the Bible? I wish <laughs> this is such an inspired idea. To you know, to a twelve-year-old kid or however old I was when I, I saw this, I just thought they they took a squirt gun, this you know the kind of thing that I've got laying around my house, and they make it into this vampire-killing weapon. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's so good. It's such a it's such a brilliant move. I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that that's wonderful. I was traumatized. For a long time, about the maggots scene. Oh yeah, he's eating rice. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> how are those maggots, Michael? That might have been my first jump scare. I was not I was not a fan of horror movies at this stage of my life, but this movie was, you know, had me hooked at that point. Yeah, if you look at our age, right? We're like 11, probably 11, 12 uh-huh. years old. Yeah. Uh just in that cave alone, you're 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 pretty shaken. You're like cuz he's gone down, right? He's down below where yeah. there's He's any, in hell basically. Yeah, there's there's no help. It's just him. And these, and we don't know that they're vampires, but at this point, you probably know that they are. But it's certainly whatever it is, something's up. And uh, and then there's the maggot thing, and it's just it's so uh, it's so it's such a simple way to make something uncomfortable because it's because you're gonna have rice soon at some point. I just guarantee you. <laughs> I didn't remember a lot about this movie when I watched it this week, but that image was burned in my mind. I thought. I've probably thought about that maggot scene a hundred times. That's that's wild, yeah. Uh, it, that it was sort of traumatizing to me, and I didn't remember the worms part of it, but I do remember the maggots part of it. And probably because you were still reeling from the maggots that you didn't even get. You, you might have been like starting to look away. Maybe so. I just I remember thinking like you know I'm I'm in my forties now, and I was thinking like I want I don't know I'm feeling a little nervous about this maggot scene coming. I know it's coming <laughs> up here. I feel a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, and so I really envy you because having seen this movie so many times, I just would love to 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 go back and see it through a you know a, a childish forty something year old. I I like that I've just been described as a childish forty something year old. <laughs> <laughs> It's really on brand. Very on brand for me. 
Um, after I watched this, I thought, why didn't they ever make a another Lost Boys? It seems like there oh, should have been yeah. a whole full franchise. And then I realized, oh, yeah. there is. There's the full oh, franchise. You, you haven't watched any of them, I hope. <laughs> I have not watched any of wow. these. So, yeah, I mean, I did at one point, like, reluctantly, like, all right, let's just see what we got here. And, yes, uh, the, you know, Corey Feldman's back, but woof. Still, st- is he still woof. Corey Feldman? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Uh, I've, I, th- I saw the second one. I don't think I saw the third. The second one was so bad. It's real bad. This I mean, is it's called just the not, tribe or something. Yeah, there's like no. Um, it's really like over the top gore and uh, nudity, and it's just a real. It feels. It, it almost feels like it's a a porn parody of Lost Boys to some degree. Mm. It's just not. It's not fun. You know, there's surprising really no, that Corey Feldman would be attached to such a thing. Yeah, because he's got so much other options. Uh, it, it's. Uh, it just definitely it. It just doesn't have any of the joy. It, it doesn't have any of the, the... I mean, this is a fun movie, right? I mean, this is... It's oh, yeah. a horror film, but it's fun. I mean, it is it is fun all the way through. Even, like, the scary parts are... are it's just, like, it, it's it's a good ride. It's... I think the acting's, you know, for the most part's pretty good. I think, you know, I know Feldman Feldman's it up, but, like... Yeah, for the kind of movie this is... It's really effective. It's a really effective movie. You you know, it, oh. <laughs> it knows that it's a fun movie, and it's not trying to be anything other than that. Sam finds out that, that his brother Michael is a vampire because he can't see him in the mirror. And as he as he's going up the stairs making the sign of the cross, he's saying, wait till mom finds out. It's just, that's <laughs> it's hysterical. It makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> every single time. And there's some weird stuff. Right? I mean, like, some of the weirdest stuff, like, it's like, you know, like Corey Feld or Corey Haim takes one of the most robust bubble baths you ever will see. And he's listening. What's I mean, he listening to in the bubble bath? I ain't got a man. <laughs> I'm just a lonely boy. <laughs> and he's making a he's making bubble mohawks. And this then meanwhile, the funnest like, bath anyone's ever had. Right. And meanwhile, his brother is like. I'm gonna go kill him. I'm gonna go kill him, and maybe because he just is singing so loud. But like, it's it. I love that sequence too. Because well, just he's like then, okay. Uh, so one of the things that's really effective about this movie is Michael turning vampire, right? So right, he doesn't. He's not really sure what's going on with him, but there's all this, all these indications that he's turning into a vampire. He can't control it, and there's that moment. Where he's got to feed, right? As, yeah. As it's been pronounced to him by Kiefer Sutherland. Now you know what we are, Michael. Now you know what you are. You never grow old. You never die. But you must feed. It's just a wonderful line. I, Kiefer Sutherland should never play anything other than a vampire. <laughs> Does this movie have a half the battle, one to grow on moment, Steve? Yeah, I mean, really, it's a, uh, it's all about uh, family first, right? Like, I mean, the brothers stick together. Is that right? I mean, here's the thing. Number one, I think that they should give the grandpa a name. I think he deserves a name, <laughs> right? So, sure. so that's I don't know if that's a family first posture. No, that's that's the ultimate respect, right? I only know you by your title. I think. Diane Weiss character, she she wants to get laid. There's no doubt about that. Like that, absolutely, she's putting that ahead of everything else. That's right. And these sleeping, these sleeping with the first video store owner that she sees. She. <laughs> Let me just say this: When I was a kid, I had a passion for video stores. Oh yeah, I could just get lost in a video store, and I thought it would be the perfect job someday. I'd like to be the guy who sits behind that counter and just puts any movie that I want on the screen. That's power. And I thought someday, you know, even as an adult, I thought when I retire, I think I'm just going to be a video store owner. <laughs> and unfortunately, I did not see, you know, streaming devices coming. It's it's a dream that will never be realized for me. I mean, you student. can realize it, it just won't 
well, it's not very lucrative. I think it'd be kind of fun to have, you know, other 60-year-olds walking around just to have that experience that they once had. And I'm not talking about like a blockbuster or a family video. I'm talking about old, independently owned. Video wizard. Video, yeah, something like that. Where it's just like you just, it's just random, random titles around. This guy, Max, is living the life. He's a vampire with a vampire crew. He lives in Santa, right? Santa Carla. And he owns a video store. And Diane Weist recognizes that this guy is hot. Yeah. I just feel like this guy, Max, is just, he's just got everything I want in life. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the you you didn't realize you wanted to be. If I could go back in time and be and become Max, that's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what an opportunity, right? I mean, just, <laughs> he's doing well for himself. He's got, he's got some fresh uh, shoulder pads and that blazer. He's got a, a sweet dog. He's... <laughs> the shoulder pads, man. The shoulder pads and the blazer. There's a lot in this movie that is very specific to the 80s. You know? So I had seen this movie, I don't know how many times before I, I caught that at the video store. Um, there are those uh, like clear plastic neon type uh, colored uh, like television screen. So when you, the person's ringing you up, it looks like they're on television. I didn't. I don't remember that. You watch this movie enough, you'll catch everything. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this this movie is part of the reason why I gained so much weight during the uh, the pandemic lockdown was because. Uh, I, every time Grandpa would tell you about his part of the refrigerator, he'd just open it up, and I'm just like, man, I want those peanut butter boppers. I can't get peanut butter boppers anymore. So I went online, and I started looking up uh, copycat recipes for peanut butter boppers. So I was making peanut butter boppers at home, and oh, my word. I mean, they tasted just like I remembered them, and I would eat those things. I would take those things like they were, they were vitamins. Man. Even now, I'm thinking I gotta go make some more boppers. I mean, do you remember the peanut butter boppers? I do remember them. I I, I can't remember the last time I actually had a bopper. Uh, so that was that was a Nature Valley treat. Um, it's it's your big old tube of peanut butter, enrobed in chocolate, and covered in little mini chocolate chips and like Rice Krispies. That's quite something. Yeah, and I think their slogan was "It's bopping up everywhere." <laughs> oh man is this like the most 80s movie i mean there may be some that are a little bit more i don't know that they feel more in the time i mean no i don't think so man i mean you think about music clothing you know the all the visual stuff right like because the posters and he has a giant swatch watch on his wall Mm -hmm. for a clock that's right. Um, uh, he has a T-shirt that says "Born to Shop" at one point, which I just absolutely love. <laughs> um, there's a Dynasty reference because he says, "You watching too much Dynasty, bud?" And there's uh, a Dynasty. There's an Eddie Munster reference. There's yeah, that's right. There's yeah. actually multiple Munster references. There's like posters of of the Munsters in the back, and one of there's um, uh, yeah, gosh, it's just it, the, the aforementioned saxophone. I mean the hairstyles are amazing. The, when uh, the the street urchins, the 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 tufts that are all around the big bonfire that are about to yeah. unknowingly get consumed and then burned for some reason by the vampires, they're listening to the Run DMC Aerosmith uh, "Walk This Way." I did know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I you know whenever Run DMC comes on, I think you know there's a little affection in my heart for. And I then I felt bad for him. I felt like these guys don't. These guys are probably a cool hang. They don't deserve to die. Totally. I mean, they're they're getting hammered at a bonfire listening to Run DMC and Aerosmith. Yeah, I want to hang out with these guys. Um, and oh yeah, you got. I mean, of course, and they just very like we talked about the video store. I mean, what a central uh, component to the eighties. The and, comic and book the... store, the video store. Mm-hmm. For me, it was always sort of a. You know, the music store would be usually tapes. I would never look at the records. That wasn't my thing. I was a very cassette tape centric guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the pierced ear, like when he goes to get his earring, like that was a big deal, right? Mm hmm. 
Um, interesting too that like I think it shows a little bit of the dynamic between the two of them because uh, Corey Haim has uh, an earring in um, throughout the movie, but when Michael has his ear pierced, maybe it's because it's dangly, but he's just like lose the earring, it's not you, bud. And I think it's interesting that there's it shows who's who in that relationship, right? Like he's the younger brother, but he's like the more stylish one, right? Um, even and though, he ends up uh, being the more savvy of the two. I mean, Michael's just yeah. He's he's totally taken in by these not too bright vampires. Like they're not that it's not like they're world beaters. I don't know how long they've been around. I don't get the sense right. that these guys are like eight hundred years old. Right, right exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love I mean and Mike I mean Michael's out there trying to he's trying to figure it out, right? He's he he's buying a leather jacket on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're getting taken, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> There were a couple things about vampire lore that I did miss in this. Hmm. And one is the, I I always like the idea that there's someone alive today that was alive hundreds of years ago. Right. And I don't know how long Max has been around though, right? We don't know how long he's been around. I would have liked a little like smattering, like, you know, just a little clue here and there that he's not totally a creature of the 80s. You know, this is a guy that that you know has seen some things i always like that part of the vampire lore so i'm thinking what you do is you you abandon these sequels and you make yourself a, a max a series of max uh prequels exactly there you go and you could actually have a, a Kiefer sutherland cgi'd yeah underling in that i would yeah i'm all about that oh man that'd be fantastic now why doesn't max for some reason Max's reflection isn't a problem. Oh, well, I think he's... So, I think he's... They've been rendered powerless, right? Because he was invited in? So, does that mean that... Is the impression that if you've invited a vampire in, that none of this... You can't defeat him? They can't... None of the the typical vampire things are in play? It's odd because they can certainly come in. I mean, these other vampires break into the house. But if you come in, you're a vampire. If you if you're yeah, invited in, I think it. I think that's I, that's that's the implication that I got right okay. is that because he even says it he says you fools don't you know that if you, if you invite a, a vampire into your house it renders you powerless and then I didn't invite you in this time. Yeah, I was I was a little bit. I mean, it's not the kind of film that you want to spend too much time thinking about the rules and whatnot. Right. No, you, there is, and then of course there is the. I thought it was a wooden stake, but I guess anything through the heart will kill the vampire because it's antlers that kill him. Unless, uh, you know, Mr. Grandpa knows that he needs some steaks just laying around the house. And so he's disguised them as as (laughs) antlers. Grandpa's grandpa's all about it. Grandpa is vampire savvy. I like that the movie ends when it does. Oh, it ends so, so perfectly. And it ends with him. And he just sort of saves the day, goes in and gets his root beer. Uh and just, just That's dropping. one thing I hate about Santa Clara. One thing I can't stomach: all the damn vampires. And then, and, and then, Echo and the Bunnymen's People Are Strange comes in in the God. perfect time, and they're just all just like totally beat up. They're all. Uh, it's it's actually. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I like this movie, and I and I don't, and I I may have entered this movie the same way that I entered the Corey Feldman concert when I first started like rewatching over however many years ago like oh wouldn't it be a hoot to watch Lost Boys but then I just started to appreciate and uh and I mean I, I love the Diane Weist dynamic because mm-hmm. she's she's a single mom <laughs> yeah you know she's had to relocate everything like she's just trying to get some normalcy like you said just trying she's trying to go to bone town and <laughs> And like, and so, and so, she doesn't have as much time for her kids, so she feels like she's losing them. But she's also got to be; she's got to keep it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, it all of the indications are that, like, okay, her son is getting into drugs, right? I mean, that's what it looks like. He's mm-hmm. he's he sleeps all day. He's got to wear sunglasses in the day. He's he's uh, out all night. He's aloof. All these different things. And even uh, Sam says at one point, he's "Like you free basin, Mike." And uh, <laughs> which is also a very eighties phrase. Uh, and, and so she's just like she's just hanging on by a thread and I love when she gets home and the house is like riddled with like blood and it's a mess and she's just like somebody has like explaining to do 
they're still like kind of feeling like they're in trouble. Uh, you know, Michael's still half vampire. <laughs> And then Star comes in and she's like, who's this? It's like that. It's like the idea, like, but are there girls here too? <laughs> so funny. So, I, mean, I just think she she adds such a, a a grounding element to it. And I just, she's pitch perfect in this whole thing. Yeah, I, I just, she's perfect. I, I, oh, man. All right. So what happens to Michael? What happens to Michael and Star and Laddie, I guess his name is? Laddie is the big one, right? Because, I mean, Laddie has to go home. He's on the milk carton. This kid, he's been abducted, essentially. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, yeah. What happens to these folks? Do you get the sense that, like, all right, so if you kill the head vampire, which they did, they were able to kill Max, then the rest of these folks can kind of unvamp themselves? Yeah, they, they're, they're, they, yeah that, that was the whole thing. They all unvamped, right? Okay, all right. Because even Kiefer Sutherland was back to being sweet Kiefer at the end. They, all right. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. All right. The, the movie ends so abruptly. Yeah. So they're all back to normal. Um, and the worst part is, is that Santa Cruz is now just dull, or Santa Carla, right? I mean, mm-hmm. no vampires. I mean, it's it's safer, but like, so it's probably just legend at that point. I was thinking about like the similarities between this movie and Splash. Go on. Like, if you think about, like, sort of the quintessential 1980s New York movie, it's probably going to be a rom-com. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you got yourself the, you know, the the character who's sort of a, a, a kind-hearted young man. He's looking for love. He can't really find the love of his life. And he ends up with this this fantastic creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she turns into a mermaid in his bathtub and whatnot. There's a lot of parallels between that movie and this, although... It's not. This is not a, a New York rom com. This is a Santa Cruz rom com, and I think that the placement makes all the difference. I think if you do a movie like this in New York, it's got to look like Splash, especially in the eighties. If you do a movie like this in Santa Cruz, it absolutely has to look like Lost Boys. It has to feel like Lost Boys just to capture the sense of the town. That that's my sense of it. Mm. Is this movie uh, better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? It's a Ron Howard plus a thousand. <laughs> I, I'm i not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm going to call this a properly Howard movie. Mm, yeah, you're wrong, but that's fine. That's what I'm thinking. This is like Splash in Santa Cruz. That's how it's no, Yeah, it, it, no. Because, because, and I'll tell you right now, mm-hmm. is I'm trying to think of how many times I've rewatched a Ron Howard film. Now, granted, this is a this is a special case, uh-huh. yeah. uh, but um, you know, I mean, I think I've seen Parent. Of, I've probably seen Splash a few times. Um, look, the the this is getting the most out of everybody <laughs> because you you walk away from this thing vexed on on how good or bad Corey Feldman may be. Howard's not pulling that performance. Um, no, no, absolutely, he's not pulling that. I don't know we, who else could have done it. We, we, you, even you demonstrated that we just saw peak Jason Patrick, and you were baffled why he wasn't a bigger deal. Yeah, it's true. I, you're right about so, that for sure. So Schumacher, Schumacher got everything out of out of Patrick. Um, Diane Weist is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say Weist is Weist, right? I mean, but like, I, I would, this is as, this is comparable to, to parenthood. Well, Weist. here's the other way you could look at it. You could say, look, if, if you gave Ron Howard this film, maybe you're playing a sliding doors situation with Tom Hanks and Jason Patrick. Maybe Jason Patrick goes on to become Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I I don't know about that, um, but I do think that uh, because of the we talked about the the, the Heyman Feldman thing, mm-hmm. it didn't become a Heyman Feldman joint. Um, there was just enough Feldman. The way that I think the characters are balanced, I don't know that Ron Howard would explore some of the. Um, there are some darker themes in there and there's some camp that's in there as well. I just don't, I feel like, I feel like the right amount of camp is in, in this. Well, I'll give you Uh, one thing. Here's what I'm going to give you. All right. We're going to, I think that we're going to have an agreement on this. You give me the option to go out with Daryl Hannah or Diane Weist. I'm going Weist every time, twice on Sunday. Every time. Are you kidding me? And keep that hair tight, girl. (laughs) 
I miss I miss Diane I miss Diane Weist, man. <laughs> I'm Michael. Michael. Michael's great. I like Michael. 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 A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>